Welcome to the Gazette Fact Checker Podcast. My name's Erin Jordan. I'm the Gazette's investigative reporter. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm the Gazette's healthcare reporter. And I'm Marissa Payne, the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. We're missing our fourth team member, Elijah Dishas, today. He is um, parts unknown, but I know he'll be back um, sooner or later. So we will take him when he is available. So today, our fact check that we're going to discuss is about a flyer that Governor Kim Reynolds' staff put together. Um, You may or may not have heard about a meeting that happened in Marion on May 4th. Um, This was a a meeting with Governor Reynolds and also U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, and they were meeting with um, Linmar parents. And the um, purpose of the meeting, so we've heard, although the media was not invited, was to talk about Linmar's LGBTQ policy. Um, But um, with this group of parents, uh, Governor Reynolds also handed out a flyer that discusses uh, her idea of having private school scholarships um, that would allow for up to 10,000 Iowa K through 12 students to get uh, $5,500 toward um, going to a private school, uh, aside from Iowa's public school system. So we're going to dig into some of the claims on this flyer, um, which are mainly about education. And um, the first two of them, Michaela, has um, she's done the research on those. So I'm going to let you go ahead and discuss those, Michaela. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have two claims that are pretty numbers heavy, so apologies in advance. Um, So the first claim that is mentioned on the flyer talks about public uh, funding that the state has allocated to school districts. And the statement is, public education funding in Iowa has grown $1.12 billion since uh, fiscal year 2012. And based on a document that we have from the Iowa Department of Management, that is true. Um, It started out at $3.48 billion in uh, fiscal year 2012 for supplemental state aid that is provided by the state to school districts. Um, And by uh, fiscal year 2022, that reached $4.6 billion. So that is a $1 billion jump, probably $1.12 billion jump if we do the math correctly. Um, And just kind of a caveat, uh, some critics have described this Uh, 2.5% increase from fiscal year 2021 to 2022 inadequate. Um, They point out that there are quite a few school districts that won't get additional funding even with this increase, but still the numbers add up and uh, the funding from the state budget did increase about that amount that Governor Reynolds claimed. So I don't know if there's any discussion on this, if we have any other thoughts on this particular claim. I agree with it. I guess my one question is whether, you know, we should point out just, you know, about inflation and how, um, you know, especially right now with the, um, you know, I heard a report on Iowa Public Radio this week just about how much uh, some rural districts because of the inflationary costs are having to cut, you know, from other things. So, you know, that money it doesn't buy as many things as maybe it did before, but I'm not sure how much more we need to add that if anything, but I just wanted to kind of point that out. Yeah, no, those were kind of my thoughts too. Um, I mean, and just over time, you know, how has that funding kept pace with inflation or, or, you know, not kept pace? Um, Cause I'm not sure like what context, uh, you know, this claim was made in, like if they're trying to argue you know, spending on education is this like exorbitant amount, you know, but if it's just going up to keep on track with inflation, 
Yeah, that is an interesting question. Looking at the flyer, um, I mean, really just kind of a sidebar on this flyer talking about, you know, the state budget is majority of the state budget goes to education, really kind of talking about how much the state has invested in education. So I don't know if this is sort of the argument along those lines, like this voucher program is a further investment in um, school districts. But yeah, that is a good point too about inflation. Like, yes, it's easy to say that funding is increased, but is that like a realistic increase in terms of what these actual costs are? And I think that might be what Kevin Kinney, Senator Ken- Kinney is referring to when he talks about how some districts aren't even going to see, you know, more money related to that. So, I mean, even if you just put in like, you know, I'm sure there's been I'm sure there's been some analysis just about how this keeps up with like, um, you know, it, it just rises in the cost of everything over that you know, period of time. Maybe you could just add in one more line or something if we have time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it changes the grade in my mind, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause at, at the end of the day, the numbers are still correct, but it's sort of that additional context that is always what we like to include. Right. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, I will stick to an A with that one. Um, and I'll go ahead and jump to my next statement. Um, which is a little bit more uh, nuanced that I think. Um, so the statement is for nearly 20 years, math and reading scores for Iowa students have been decreasing. So within this flyer, Governor Reynolds and her team were uh, referencing the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which is the congressionally mandated program that assesses uh, students' educational tre- achievement across the country. Um, and those are those tests that students take at grades four, eight, and 12, and they test them in reading, they test them in math, kind of test them on a measure of things to um, really get a sense of their learning and their progress and if they are where they should be. Um, And I included a bunch of numbers in terms of Iowa's fourth grade and eighth grade scores in both math and reading. I won't get into it just for the sake of time, but it is true that we are seeing a a few points decrease. So these these scores are measured on a scale of zero to 500. And just kind of looking at the years between uh, 2019, which is the latest data data we have available, and back what it was in 2019, there is a few points difference um, in which the points have dropped by the time we get to 2019. Um, However, what I did think was significant um, was that, you know, these, these are generally lower scores, but Iowa is still within range of the national average. But what is significantly different is Back in 1992, when uh, the latest data or the earliest data available under this data set, um, Iowa really was well ahead of the curve when it came to the national average, both in reading and mathematics. Um, In some cases, we were 16 points or even 11 points above the national average. And nowadays, we're seeing that the math and reading scores for both fourth and eighth graders are really at level with national average. So... It is true that math and reading scores did fluctuate downward in that two-decade span, but the way I sort of interpreted this data score is that it doesn't necessarily mean Iowa scores have dropped significantly. It just means maybe the rest of the country has caught up with where Iowa was 20 years ago. Um, So I'd be interested to see if you guys had that same interpretation, kind of based on the numbers I presented in the fact check, or if I'm wildly off my game here, but right now I have this at a grade C because it is half true, half false, but curious what you guys think. I mean, 
My thought is just looking at the statement they made for nearly 20 years, math and reading scores for Iowa students have been decreasing. I mean, that is completely true. Um, I think what you add is valuable context, but to me, I don't think it warrants a downgrade. Um, You know, I, um, if she had said, you know, like um, had talked about like the ranking and, you know, like, falling in the ranking or, you know, I don't know, maybe that still would be accurate, but I don't, I guess my thought is it seems, seems like it would deserve a, um, a higher grade than that. What do you think, Marissa? I agree with that. Um, you know, kind of just the more literal interpretation of, you know, the scores have been decreasing for the last two decades since the statement itself isn't necessarily comparing like where Iowa stacks up to other states in the country. But I do think that is like good context worth noting. Okay, that's good to know. I probably got lost in the weeds a little bit, kind of looking at all these data sets and, you know, seeing points drop, but really what was more significant is the national average comparison. Um, Okay, but yeah, like looking at it literally, that is very true. It is on its face accurate. Um, So I'll go ahead and change it to an A if we think this is worthy of an A grade. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think, though, I think it is so um, interesting, though, because, yeah, these other states, either we've fallen dramatically or other states have just improved their game. But why hasn't, if that's true that the other states have just come up to our level, um, why have we not, you know, I mean, you know, I just think the big question that's left unanswered that everyone would like to answer is why. You know, why has Iowa fallen? Does it is it because the schools have received inadequate funding in people's minds? Is it, um, you know, kids focus on screens that, you know, screen time outside of school that wasn't a thing, you know, 20 years ago? So I don't know that anyone can answer that. And I I think in some ways Governor Reynolds is trying to, you know, say, put all these facts out there, as she says, and, and tries to steer them all, all to, toward evidence for she's, these private school scholarships. But I don't know that they that there's evidence in the flyer overall that, that's, that these all contribute to a need for that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I guess you could argue, you know, other states have innovated in a way that has obviously been reflected in test scores, right? So maybe now it's time for Iowa to innovate in a way. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head how many schools have taken the private voucher avenue to try to do that. But yeah, it does kind of raise an interesting question of, you know, why, why this, why do we think that this would be the solution we would take for this problem? All right. So is it my turn to talk about the other, the last two claims? I believe so. Okay. So these are, um, these claims took me a while um, because they deal with research. Um, The first claim is that 65 studies on the financial impact of school choice found that programs have generated savings for taxpayers. First of all, 65 studies is very precise, and it is a lot of studies. But what the governor's office pointed us to for their um, research on this is a slideshow by EdChoice, which is an Indiana-based not-for-profit that advocates for school choice, as the name might imply. Um, They put out a a big slideshow that is kind of a research um, analysis. They look at different studies on um, vouchers, uh, 
tax credit programs to support private school choice and that kind of thing. So EdChoice says in this slideshow that 68 studies found private school choice programs generated savings for taxpayers, four studies found programs were cost neutral, and five studies showed private school choice cost more. So I have to say that as I was going through it, 40 of the studies that are listed in this EdChoice report that Reynolds pointed us to are actually fiscal analyses by the same person. Um, Marty Leakin, um, director of the Fisc- Divestor of the Fiscal Research and Education Center at EdChoice. So you, you're seeing some connections here. You know, in terms of research um, credibility, having it come from a nonpartisan entity like a university, um, the Department of Education, is um, regarded generally as more credible than an agency that's kind of already, you already know where they're coming from. But um, Leakin compares the amount of each private school scholarship or educational savings account in some states with the amount of funding the state pays for educating each student. And he found that through FY 2018, the 40 educational choice programs under study generated an estimated $12.1 billion to $27.8 billion in cumulative net fiscal savings for state and local taxpayers. Um, So kind of getting to some of these more, um, I don't know, not that Leakin is not credible, but some of these organizations that are regarded as having higher credibility, a 2021 policy brief by Ball State University found aggregate spending on K-12 education in Indiana went down $88 million in 2019-2020 because of the Choice Scholarship Program, um, which was implemented So um, this was, I believe, in Indiana, this is a a new one that they had kind of layered on over the top of um, another program they had started in 2011. But in Mississippi, a 2020 report by Peer Mississippi, which is a joint legislative committee on performance evaluation and expenditure review, um, showed educational savings accounts for students with disabilities actually cost the state $1 million more in fiscal 19 and $2.1 million more in fiscal 20. They did find some cases where students were getting the um, educational savings accounts and maybe weren't qualified. Um, so that is looking at the studies. Um, just I had to put in there, even though it took up some space in the article, and we can talk about whether it's worthwhile, but the scholarship program that has been approved by the Iowa Senate and now is awaiting a vote in the Iowa House, um, like I said, would provide up to $5,500 in tuition assistance for up to 10,000 Iowa students. These families have to be um, have a combined family income of $111,000 for a family of four or less. So that amount of money is less than the $12,000 state and federal allocation each Iowa student gets now for going to public schools. But according to this bill, the difference would be put into an operational sharing fund for districts that share administrators and do other efficiencies like that. So this program that the Iowa Senate has approved is actually designed to cost the same as what the state is spending now. But because the number of students in each district has already kind of been locked in for next year, if this bill were to become law, Iowa would actually spend $55 million more next year, and then that would um, level out to kind of revenue neutral for the previous year. So in terms of a grade here, I know I've been talking about a lot of stuff, but Reynolds is right that several or multiple studies have shown voucher programs in other states have saved money for those states. Um, 
but the program designed for Iowa is designed to be budget neutral. Um, but again, she is talking primarily about the studies. So I gave her an A on this claim. What do you guys think? I have a couple of thoughts on this one. So first, I don't know about, I mean, it is true that there is research about school choice and that kind of show their point, but I do wonder if it is potentially worth considering docking a point because it is like a nonprofit research group that specifically advocates for school choice. Not saying that there's no credibility to this particular agency, but I mean, it is clear what sample pool of research that they were pulling from for the most part, right? I mean, I, I feel like that that's generally known that, you know, you are able to find the research that you want to prove a point if you really look for it, right? So I, I wonder if that's worth consideration here. Um, and I do think it's interesting that, you know, they, they're pulling all this research that, that shows school choice saves money. And yet, from what you're telling me, it's not going to save Iowa money. It's going to either be budget neutral and, to your point, cost more money. So why are we making this point? for Iowa, if that's not necessarily going to be true, you know, like it is on its face accurate. There are research that shows it does save money, but I don't know. Those were the two things that I was kind of weighing in my head that maybe might be worth docking a grade, but I don't know. What do you think, Marissa? I agree that it'd be worth uh, docking the grade at least somewhat. Um, I mean, 40 of the studies coming from the same source, you know, that's not like a, you know, 40 different experts all say that it would amount in savings for Iowa taxpayers. And to Michaela's point that, um, you know, it'll cost more the first year before it's budget neutral. And, you know, so then down the line, that won't be necessarily a savings for Iowa taxpayers. So, and I think I agree with you guys, um, and it's particularly because in this claim, they actually say 65. They put in a number in terms of studies. They didn't just say some studies or that kind of thing. And if 40 of the 65 studies are from one entity, and that entity is like one of the nation's largest proponents of, you know, um, school choice. (laughs) I mean, I think that's, to me, that warrants at least a B grade. You know, I don't know about further docking based on the Iowa situation, um, but I definitely think that's quite, quite crazy, kind of questionable that that you put in there that it's gonna that all these all these research sh- you know studies show that it saves money when it's not supposed to save money here. Right. Yeah. No. I I definitely agree with that. I definitely think you it was a good idea to include that context and just you know raise a question like okay will it actually save Iowa money? The answer right now is no. Um, no. I, I I can see that maybe just kind of docking it for the research, but maybe not so much for the Iowa portion. Um, I know. What do you think, Marissa? That's fair since that's like what the statement itself focuses on. Okay. Okay. All right. Well. Good. I think we're on the same page there. All right. So for a B for that one. And then let's dig into the last claim. It's also about research. Well, I guess we've got a couple others. We've got a lot of claims here. Um, The next one is about, um, it says that studies show that private school choice has a positive impact on student attainment, increasing the odds of graduation from high school, enrolling in college, and earning a degree. Um, So again, the governor's office pointed to this ed choice report, 
which lists a bunch of studies. Um, the first is a 2021 report, which is published by the Institute for Education Sciences within the U.S. Department of Education. So again, a, a fairly credible, very credible source. The um, researchers there found that academic performance of Indiana students in traditional public schools, private schools, and charter schools after the Indiana Choice Scholarships Program was passed in 2011 um, were, were kind of different. She found They found that in math, 59% of charter school students met or exceeded standards compared to 72% of the students in traditional public schools. 79% of voucher recipients who were attending private schools um, were proficient in math and 83% of private school students who didn't get a voucher to be there were, were they met or exceeded math standards. So they found the, sim- the position, the pattern was similar in English. So, you know, the, um, the, the difference is, you know, if you're looking both at those students who got vouchers to attend private schools and students who didn't get vouchers to attend private schools, they both, um, a larger share of them met or exceeded math standards in Indiana. Um, then there's some other studies that, that come from the Urban Institute, which is a left-leaning research nonprofit. Um, and they looked at at least three different uh, municipalities that had private school scholarship programs. One was in Milwaukee and one was for the state of Florida. And both of those showed that students were more likely to enroll in college than similar public school classmates. Um, but their study in Washington, D.C. Um, found students there who got vouchers were slightly less likely to go to college. So um, I gave her an A here because this statement didn't have like a quantifiable thing like 65 studies. It just said studies show that private school choice has a positive impact on student attainment, increasing the odds of graduation, enrolling in college and earning a degree. Although I think it's interesting in this claim, she's not saying who benefits. Is it the students who, is it any student? Is it the students who go to the private schools with a voucher? Or is it the students who are, you know, kind of staying in the public schools? But since she doesn't specify, there is some evidence showing that um, some student groups do benefit from this. So I gave her an A here. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, As you said, I mean, she really only say some studies show. Um, There isn't, yeah, really that definitive statement of like all 105 studies show you know, these classes or these students end up, you know, going to for higher education. Quick question, though. So when they talk about attainment, they're just talking about going on to higher education or are they talking about enrolling in college in Iowa rather than going out of state somewhere? Right. I don't think they're talking about um, I think this research is just like looking at students like maybe two years after they graduate from high school. Are they enrolled in college? Okay. Yeah. And really, of the studies that I um, looked at there, only one of them dealt with kind of performance in high school. A lot of them were more about, like, did you go to college? I mean, I just wonder, I mean, especially with the last last report with the disparity between, you know, Milwaukee and Florida showing that students were more likely to enroll in college versus, you know, the study finding that Washington, D.C. students were less likely. To me, that introduces a question of, you know, what are the other factors that propel someone to go to college? And, you know, is school choice, you know, having the access to those voucher programs, is that really the sole determinant of whether a student goes on to college? So, I mean, you, 
sure you can find studies showing that for some it has that positive impact, but that seems limited to some areas relative to others. And you have to wonder, you know, demographically, what are some of the differences in those areas? It's interesting you mentioned demographics because one study that I did have in there where I actually had to reach out to the researcher and have him give me special permission to read his study, because a lot of these are like where you have to pay a good chunk of money to look at them. Um, They found there was no, overall, all the students, there was no general increase in college um, attendance for the voucher programs, but they did find among minority students, students of color, there was an improvement in terms of um, going to college if you had participated in, in the voucher program. So it wasn't a huge difference, but there was a difference. And in, in, in there, it was easier to see when they kind of separated the groups a little bit. And I can, I'm glad to put that one back in there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think your question of what are the other factors that cause a student to go to college? What are the factors? Is it, is it because um, your parents went to college? Is it because you have a college in your hometown? Is it because you got a scholarship? You know, I mean, there's so many factors and just putting it all down to whether you got a private school voucher. Um, obviously, I, I don't think there's enough research to show that. And right, it speaks to, I mean, I think it assumes then like once you get the private school voucher, the quality of education improves is, I don't know if that's kind of the point that they're kind of trying to insinuate here long-term um, too, but like you said, there's so many other factors kind of in the decision-making process for people to decide to go to higher education. And I think uh, college enrollment has generally been trending downward recently anyway, right? From my understanding. Yeah, I think that's right. I yeah, think. so mm-hmm. less less people in general just kind of choosing that route for themselves. I don't, I don't know. I wonder if that kind of these disparities you're sort of mentioning are enough maybe to downgrade, maybe just kind of posing a question for the group in terms of, you know, the statement is so broad, it doesn't really take into context. It, it sort of creates this blanket term for a very nuanced issue that may or may not be true. I'm wondering if some of these questions would be good to raise in the conclusion that, okay. you know, you could say like, you know, narrowly interpreted these, a lot of these statements are right. But what's implied is that they all point clearly towards school choice, but, you know, they don't. I mean, you, you know, they may, but, but you know, at least what she's outlined, you know, there's all these questions about why or what other factors or, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't know, that might be something we could raise in, in the conclusion just as a way. I mean, I just don't think it. I can downgrade it based on exactly what word she says there. True. But if you guys feel differently, there's three of us and you can outvote me. I mean, I'm personally not entirely comfortable with just how definitive her statement is that like these studies show, you know, it gives the impression of like resoundingly these school choices the difference maker in, you know, college access and um, graduation from high school. So yeah. I would support at least like a B. Yeah, that was kind of my line of thinking too. Like I wouldn't go any lower than a B, but I wonder if just sort of this definitive statement making, I don't know, I do kind of waffle on it a little bit because she does say just some studies show, um, which that doesn't, that doesn't mean all studies show. So 
I can also really see a strong argument for an A, too. Okay, so she does say studies show. Oh, she says studies. Not some studies show. So I guess that's slightly more like um, kind of indicating more do show this than don't show this. I don't know. In that sense, then, yeah, I'm I'm kind of leaning maybe more toward a B because, like Marissa said, it's sort of that definitive statement that, you know, may not be true in all cases. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go with a B. You guys are, if that's what you guys are thinking. All right. Last claim. We're in the home stretch here. So again, this is about studies. We are very academic here at the Fact Checker. Um, this claim says credible evidence demonstrates that school choice improves academic outcomes even for public schools. This is the one that I was most interested in researching because, you know, the um, idea about from um, opponents of these vouchers is that the higher performing students are going to leave the public schools, leaving the public schools to have more academic challenges um, there. And but what school choice supporters say is that public schools actually will improve their performance to compete with private schools once vouchers are an option for families. Um, several of the Ed Choice studies, again, Governor Reynolds goes back to Ed Choice, show there were small performance bumps at public schools as state voucher programs were starting up. Um, for example, a 2020 um, working paper, which was not so it's not like peer reviewed, not in a journal. Um, showed a modest increase in standardized test scores and lower absenteeism and suspension rates in Florida public schools immediately before the introduction of the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship in 2001. Um, a study published in 2016 in the Journal of Economic, Economics and Finance by three Penn State University professors found the CEO Horizon Scholarship Program in San Antonio, Texas, has, quote, small positive effects on public schools, at least in the early years. Um, they said they acknowledged that they did not know how that would pan out as it got farther away from the start of that program. Uh, a study by um, an Indiana University doctoral student um, found that with Indiana's voucher program, which was implemented in 2011, um, over the long run, they found public schools with more nearby private school options saw a, quote, considerable decrease in proficiency rates due to the flight of relatively high achieving students from public schools to private schools. So my conclusion after reading these studies was that, yes, several studies show a boost in public school performance in the beginning of voucher programs, but either it doesn't appear to continue to bear out in the long term, or some of these programs are not old enough to have that research that's been done. So I proposed giving her a B on this claim. I agree with this claim, um, you know, the grade on this claim, just because of the long-term uncertainties. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. I would agree because of the long-term. And yeah, it's easy to kind of say, you know, these studies show there is an improvement, but it lacks the context of, you know, that improvement doesn't last long-term for these schools. So I think a, a B is a good way to land on this. Okay. Okay, good deal. So kind of going back through, we've got, um, Michaela, in your two, we had um, an A and a B. Is that right? Uh, no, we changed number two to an A, I believe. Okay. So we have two A's and three B's, which would average out to a B. Are we good with that overall, especially with our conclusion 
outlining that, you know, there are these other questions of why and what other factors that, that come to bear? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense, especially since a lot of these claims rely on, you know, the same source, which kind of calls into question the assumptions to, you know, not necessarily saying she's outright wrong on all these, but it at least casts a little bit of doubt, um, you know, on the validity entirely. And Ed Choice, um, you know, they do cite other studies, which I did try to highlight the ones that I thought had higher credibility um, levels. And I wasn't able to look at every study because, like I said, a lot of them, you know, have like a $60 cost per study. And um, But I was able to look at quite a few and look at the abstracts of others. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think overall to me a B seems fair. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think a B is uh, pretty good for what we've kind of discussed. You know, there's, you know, grains of truth within she say, but also broader context or broader questions that aren't necessarily addressed in these, you know, one sentence claims. Okay, good deal. Well, I feel like I've gotten education myself this week, um, researching so much about education. I don't know about you guys. You did a really great job, Erin. I feel like I've learned a lot just reading the research you did. No, you too, Michaela. Thanks for pitching in on this one with uh, five claims that we checked in a week. That's uh, a lot. So we'll have to whittle it down. We'll have to wedge, you know, a really big package into uh, uh, something small for print, but uh, we'll, we'll have it all in line. So um, I think we'll, uh, I guess before we wrap up, we wanted to hit on what our, our claim is that we're going to be looking at next week. Michaela, do you want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just pull it up here really quick. But essentially, it is a claim from uh, Senator Chuck Grassley about his opponent, Sen- or former Senator Abby Finkenauer. Um, and essentially, she he is stating that, um, you know, Abby Finkenauer supports abortion up until birth. Um, and he is referencing the um, the bill that was in front of the U.S. Senate the other day to codify Roe versus Wade into law to sort of protect abortion white rights as we anticipate the Supreme Court ruling to come down in the, the coming weeks. Um, and the Senate voted and ultimately it didn't pass, but um, he's calling it the Abortion on Demand Until Birth Act, which I believe is not the correct name of it, but we can get into it. But essentially, He's arguing that Finkenauer, you know, shared her support for a radical bill that would allow pregnancies to be terminated from anywhere from conception to birth. So we'll dig into that and see what the bill actually is and what Democrats are actually in support of here. Because first read, I don't I don't think that's accurate, but who's to say I could be wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting and very timely for next week. So our fact checks are edited by Craig Jamulis. Our podcast is produced by Stephen Colbert, and our music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm Erin Jordan. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm Marissa Payne. And until next week, we'll fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.